this morning, we're uh, going to talk a little bit about connecting, exactly what that video uh, informs us about. The, the number of people who come, the number of guests, the number of visitors who come and uh, visit our, 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 our church. They worship with us on Sunday and exactly what our role is. I think sometimes we fall into the rut of seeing our role as Christians as being something um, perhaps that is uh, maybe limited to Sunday or if we are involved in reaching out to the community and really building the type of connection or the type of of a family within the body of Christ that scripture calls us to, uh, sometimes it is not quite understood what that looks like. And so this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 15 and explore what scripture says about who we are as a people, what it means to connect, what it means to connect to first and foremost God and then the body of Christ and what it means to connect to one another and what requirements, what imperative the scripture places on us as believers. And by doing so, we'll explore what the role of the church really is. What is the church? It's more than just a social club, more than a group of people who meet together. Um, In fact, it's not a social club, and it's more than just a a group of people who meet together with shared interest. In fact, biblically speaking, the church is an organism. It's living. And uh, we're going to explore what connection within the church uh, looks like, scripturally speaking. So let's look together at Romans chapter 15 and begin reading Uh, verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 7. Romans 15, verse 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we indeed are called out, that we are a group of people who've been called and your name is conferred upon us. We've been called out of this world and given the words of truth. And Lord, we pray that as we share these words of truth this morning, that you would open up our hearts and our ears, help us to be receptive and responsive. And may your word be productive and fruitful in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking this morning at four different passages or four different ways, according to the Apostle Paul here in our text, uh, that we can connect or four reasons why we should connect not only to God but also to one another and connect with those people that God brings in our midst. But before we get started, I want to provide some context for this particular passage that we read this morning. Uh, The church in Rome was not a church that um, it was a fairly young church whenever the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, the church. It's not a church that he had visited, not one unlike a lot of other churches in his epistles that he writes to that uh, he had a a, uh, first-hand approach in planting. 
uh, but rather it was a church that grew out of, more than likely, out of the day of Pentecost. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, whenever Peter gave his Pentecostal sermon, uh, there were people there, there were Jews from uh, all over the earth, including Rome. And it's more than likely, scholars believe, that these Jews went back to Rome, which was where they were from, and they began sharing their faith. And so the church in Rome at this time was a mixture of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, if that in and of itself wasn't big enough, um, we see, and of course we see this from Romans 14, uh, particularly verses 13 down through verse 23, that bringing together these two different people groups, the Gentiles and the Jews, for the first time in human history uh, as, as people who are called out, people who are collectively uh, heirs of the covenant and, and collectively the body of Christ, uh, that it was not something that was by, and of it, by, by accident uh, united. In fact, there was a lot of dissension with, between the Jews and the Gentiles, and we see particularly in verses 13 through 23 of, of Romans 14 that it had a lot to do with eating meat. Now, today, uh, if you look around this, perhaps you talk to people that you worship with, maybe you look at other evangelical denominations within our country, uh, there's a lot of disagreement. And uh, most of the time, it's not over something like eating meat. But back then, eating meat, particularly meat that was unclean if you were Jewish, was a big deal. And so you had people within the church that were Jews, and they were, uh, they were faithfully adhering to the law of Moses when Moses commanded that they should not uh, eat of, of unclean food or unclean meat. But then you had Romans, Gentiles, who saw nothing wrong uh, with eating of pork, with eating of things that God had in his law forbidden. So there was dissension between the two. And Paul talks about that dissension uh, in Romans chapter 14. And it's right after he talks about that dissension that he begins his admonishment to them to to, to bear one another's burdens, and specifically to those who are strong in the faith. He says in verse 1 that they have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And so he really takes the next few verses and he explores this idea of connecting one with another, and he gives us reasons why we should do this. And the first reason, and we'll look at four here in this passage, and they're all four listed in the notes in your bulletin, but the first reason that he gives us for connecting, he gives the church there in Rome, but also uh, by way of God's word and and truth in God's word, he uh, conveys this to us today. The reason that they should connect is because of the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul could have a plethora of reasons to appeal to the Church of Rome of why they should be united. After all, they were a minority people group. They were a minority faith. They were living in the heart of the Roman Empire, which was overrun with sin and with idolatry. And they were speaking the words of truth. And they were not a large congregation, but they were a congregation that were bearing words of truth and words of life uh, within their community. But he begins by telling them that they should connect because of the gospel. Look at verse 15, verses 15 through, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 1 through 2. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Why? Why should we bear with the feelings of the weak? After all, in chapter 14, he just said that those who refuse to eat meat, particularly meat that was uh, believed to be unclean based on the Levitical law, but 
under the, the uh, new covenant, Christ himself sanctifies all things, therefore nothing is common or unclean. And we saw this in, in Acts chapter 10, uh, chapters 9 and 10, whenever Peter was given this great vision. We saw that God has sanctified all things. And so uh, those who were strong within the church of Rome believed they could eat anything and uh, that it was accepted uh, by God. But then those who were weak believed that they could only eat those things that God in his word prescribed to be eaten particularly uh, Jews who were living still under the Levitical law instead of understanding the freedom, the implications of being free under the new covenant. And so to these people, he appeals to them with the gospel. And he says, you who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not seek to please yourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Then he gives us the reason in verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So the first reason that Paul gives to the church there in Rome that they should be connected to one another is because Christ bore for them. It's because of the gospel. Christ bore their sins, their weaknesses, the reproaches of those who reproached God he himself bore. And of course, Paul there is quoting from an Old Testament psalm, a passage found in Psalm 69, where he said, the reproaches of those who reproached you, and it was particularly messianic, so referring to those who reproached or sinned against God, that those reproaches had fallen on Christ, that he bore them, that he who knew no sin, was made sin for us. That he who was in the form of God, that is God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of man, uh, flesh and blood like you and I, and bore our sins. So Christ bore on behalf of us. He bore our weaknesses. He bore our reproach. And so the Apostle Paul is admonishing the church of Rome to be connected to one another in the same way. That we should not focus on our liberty at the expense of Christian unity. Now, I think oftentimes whenever we think of the grace that is given us in Scripture, uh, the first thing that we think about is what we are free to do. That we are free in Christ, that we don't have to worry about contributing to our justification because we are justified by none other means than Christ and his perfect righteousness. And that's biblical, that's the gospel. But we're also redeemed, were justified, were sanctified, not only by the, the finished work of Christ, but by the continued work of Christ in our life. The, 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 our sanctification is the result of Christ working within us uh, the, the hope of glory, to work out uh, the salvation that he has uh, placed within us. So whenever we look at this particular passage, what we see is that Paul is admonishing those who are strong to bear the burdens of those who are weak for the sake of Christ because of the gospel because he who was strong who is strong who's omnipotent who is infinitely strong bore the reproaches of us who are weak now how were these reproaches born were they born whenever we turned a acceptable gaze upon Christ our savior no Romans the book of Romans tells us that uh, earlier uh, in, in in Romans Chapter 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So by pointing the church of Rome to the gospel, he was instructing them to be connected to God first and foremost and connected to each other to bear one another's burdens even as Christ 
did not seek to please himself, but bore the reproaches of his church. Now, the reason I believe that Paul begins with the gospel is because only when we are connected with God through Christ and the power of the gospel can we truly be connected to others in spiritual intimacy. And so, ultimately, the church, the bride of Christ, is birthed out of the gospel, is born out of Christ and his finished work. And so, as far as our justification, it's not something we contribute to. It's a completed work. But as far as our continued sanctification, we have a responsibility. And that's here what Paul is referring to when he says that we have an obligation. He's giving us an imperative an obligation to consider those among us who may not believe the way that we do about certain things, doctrinal issues, who may be weak in the faith, who may not see eye to eye. And he says, those of you who are strong, bear with the failings of the weak. Don't seek to please yourselves, but rather seek to please his neighbor for his good. And ultimately, it's for the glory of God. And so the first reason here that the Apostle Paul gives for connection is because of the gospel. And we cannot get beyond this. We are an organization, we are an organism rather, that is set apart, that is called because of the gospel. The gospel is at the very core of who we are as Christians. It's at the core of who we are as a body. It is the good news that though we were sinners alienated from God, that though we were born in rebellion against him, that God so loved us he sent his only son and his son Jesus bore our punishment so that you and I can stand justified in the presence of God. That good news tells us that we can come just the way we are. We don't have to correct ourselves or clean ourselves up, but rather we have to believe. And the only way that we can is by the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit, enabling our dead hearts to believe the truth of the gospel. And so this gospel is what liberates us. It is the means by which Paul makes an appeal to the church of Rome that we are to be connected one with another, that we are to bear with each other, and that we are to think of our neighbor instead of our own pleasure. Now, whenever I was thinking about this in preparation for this morning, I thought about um, the local Tennessee Valley Railroad Museum, and I don't know if, if you've ever been there. I've been there uh, several times with, with my, my two boys and probably enjoy it just as much as they do. But uh, at the Tennessee Valley Railroad Museum, they have this, this um, train ride uh, known as the Missionary Ridge Special. And part of the ride is that when they, you get to the very end of the line in East Chattanooga, they have a turntable. And on the turntable, uh, they place this large engine. It's the way that, that historically they've been able to move uh, engines and get them on the, the correct track. But what's fascinating is that as they operate the turntable, the gentleman doing the tour explains to you how that when this vintage turntable was used 100 years ago or so, that there was no electric engine that propelled it. Instead, there were not 50 men, not 20 men, but two men who got on either side of the turntable. And those two men, once this large engine, which some of the engines had the ability to weigh up to 100 tons, which they say is the equivalent of 50 elephants. So if you can picture that, something that massive on this little turntable. Uh, and then when it reaches a point where the... Um, it is perfectly balanced. There's a bearing in the center. And when it reaches the point where it's perfectly balanced, then the weight is able, capable of being moved uh, by two men. 
But the more that I, I thought of that and the more I listened to that, I realized that ultimately those two men are, are really not moving the weight of that engine because they couldn't. It's humanly impossible. What they're moving is, in, is the weight of the engine that has been suspended by the bearing, the fact that the engine is perfectly balanced on that turntable. And so they're able, as they walk in unison, and that's very, uh, very critical, if one walked faster than the other and ran off and left him, no doubt they wouldn't have the, uh, the, the balance and counterbalance to move the turntable in the direction that it had to go. And so if you think about what Paul is saying here to the Church of Rome, you realize that really, in a vulgar way, if I can say that, he's referring to the gospel as being that, that balancing bearing. That as believers... particularly the church of Rome, they were given this inhuman task, this task that was not humanly possible, the challenge of being connected with one another, Jews and Gentiles, former idolaters and worshipers of Jehovah, circumcised and uncircumcised, they were called to be one in Christ. And so Paul begins by appealing to the gospel that bears the weight for us. He says, because of the gospel, because Christ bore the reproaches of all of us, Those who reproach God, that reproach was borne by him. Therefore, we have the ability, not in our own strength, but by the power of the gospel that resides within us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we have the ability to be united, to be connected in Christ. Now, the second reason that he gives for the church in Rome uh, to be connected to one another is for the sake of hope. We see this in verse 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So he was admonishing the church of Rome. And he was saying, look, Jews and Gentiles, those who make up this organism, this body, this living body of Christ, to whom I'm given this imperative to be connected, to bear one another's burdens, Let me give you the indicative. Let me give you the truth of who you are. You've been set apart by the gospel. You've been called out by he who bore our reproach. And you're also an heir to the promises of owed, the promises of Scripture. And so he points to those promises and he says, whatever was written in former days, speaking explicitly about the Old Testament and the law of God and and, and the prophets and the Psalms, he said, whatever, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we are to connect. The church in Rome was to connect for the sake of hope. He points out here the Old Testament passage that we've already mentioned in Psalm 69. And he makes a case that connecting as a new humanity, a new community, whose seminal beginnings is in the hope of the gospel, is vital to fostering endurance and encouragement. It answers the question, who will bear my burdens? The burdens that are too much for us to bear are intended to be borne in the context of a community in the context of a people who've been called out, chosen of God, who've been given the very words of life and truth, we are called to bear one another's burdens. This hope is built, the hope that you and I have, the hope which is the admonishment here of the Church of Rome, the reason that they are to be connected is built on nothing less than the power of the gospel. It's the mystery of the ages that is being lived out in God's people, 
in his church, those chosen to represent him in his rule here on this earth. No longer is this this kingdom exclusive to Israel, exclusive to those who were the physical descendants of Abraham. But Paul was pointing to the fact that they were a diverse group made up of Jews and Gentiles that God had called out. And the kingdom of God was invading the kingdom of this world. In 14, in chapter 14, verse 17, he points to this when he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, The very issue that divided them, the very issue that prevented them from being connected. One said, yes, I'll have that pork sandwich. And the other said, no, you can't eat it. God forbids it. And Paul, of course, sheds the light of the truth that under the new covenant, nothing is forbidden except using our liberty in Christ to harm or offend our brother. And this is something that Paul in another passage said that if, my, if it offends my brother, particularly in Corinthians, when he's talking about food offered to idols, he says, if it offends my brother to eat meat, then I will not eat meat so long as the earth remains. Why? Not because there is anything wrong with eating meat, but because there is something wrong in me woefully offending my brother. And so Paul admonishes connection here in our text for the sake of hope. The scriptures offer hope, hope that a sovereign God can and does connect people into one body who are both weak and strong. The concept that maybe some of you, perhaps not all, grew up with, I know I grew up with it, of of the ideal man or the ideal life being that of John Wayne who rides off alone in the sunset after he's come into town with his guns blazing, that's not the picture that is painted of the church. The picture that is painted of the church, the blood-bought church of Christ, is that we need one another. Our connection, one with the other, is a very vital part of our encouragement as we find hope in Scripture. And this hope, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. The third point that I want to make here is that Paul tells the church of Rome to be connected because of harmony with Christ. So first he says, be connected because of the gospel. Secondly, connected for the sake of hope. The hope that we all experience as a result of living as a new humanity, heirs of the covenant, and inheritors of the promises of God. Thirdly, he says, be connected because of harmony with Christ. Look at verse 5. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement, particularly God, here is central. He's center focus. And the very attributes that are indicative of a community of faith living out the word of God, the attributes of encouragement and endurance that are mentioned there in verse 4, Paul here says that God is the God of endurance and encouragement. He points our attention back to God and he lets us know and know in certain terms that Christian unity in the midst of diversity is not something that we can achieve on our own. That seeking to be connected, yes, it's an admonishment, it's an imperative of Scripture, but it is impotent apart from the indicative of who we are in him. That we as a church who are bought by his blood rely on him exclusively. His grace enables us to be who we are. 
But here he reminds us. He's taking us a step deeper. He's building up to this crescendo that we'll, we'll see in just a minute. But in, at the third point, the third reason that he gives them for being connected one with another is because of harmony with Christ. He says in verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and in accord with Christ Jesus. What is a prerequisite to harmony with one another is our union with Christ. The fact that we are in him, we belong to him, that we are his bride and he is our groom, that we are his sheep and he is our shepherd, that he is the true vine and we are the branches. The biblical truth that we belong in him, that we are united to him, is the basis for the church in Rome finding connection one with another. It's the means by which we can reach out to those who are lost and dying. It is the northern star, the internal compass given by God and his grace that enables us to maneuver through the waters of this tumultuous time. If you think just about the events of the past week that I know we've all heard about and probably talked about, maybe posted comments on Facebook about the Supreme Court ruling, but if you think about the time in which we live, the only way that we will be able to, uh, to become who God has called us to be in Christ is if we realize our union with him. And his truth, as revealed in his word, gives us the compass for marching forward. But Paul makes an appeal here. He says that we are to connect with one another because we are walking in tandem with Christ. And pardon the expression, but if we're, if we're walking arm in arm, proverbially speaking, with Christ, and he is walking arm in arm with his church, then we cannot truly be united to Christ unless we are united with one another. And this was the heart of the high priestly prayer prayed by Christ in John chapter 17 when he says, Father, I pray that you might make them one even as we are one. This unity of the body in the midst of diversity that is the result of the gospel that draws all people from all tongues, tribes, and nations together as a new humanity under, in this earth, declaring the truth of God's kingdom. The only way that it's a possibility is because of our union with him. This union is not something that we have ultimately anything to do with. Because when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But his call to us through his Holy Spirit, enabling our heart to believe and through saving faith that is a gift of grace, you and I are joined to him so that his righteousness and the act of justification is imputed to us and our sinfulness is imputed to him. That process of double imputation happens once we are united in Christ. But the gospel doesn't stop there. That's why... John wrote his three epistles, and he admonishes people that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And if we say that we love God whom we have not seen, but hate our brother whom we have seen, then we are a liar. And so the appeal here to unity, the appeal to connection one with another, is that we understand that we are in union with Christ. And you know what that does? That wreaks havoc on my sense of individualism. That wreaks havoc on my desire to be the lone ranger that runs off in the, into the sunset. And it should. 
Because the gospel calls us to unity, to being connected one with the other. I'm reminded of an experience I had about a year or so ago. Um, I'm not very good with heights. It's not that I'm afraid of heights, but I, I'm not necessarily very good with them. I, I, the, the sense of being high off the ground and not having firm terra firma under my feet is something that's somewhat unsettling. But I was part of a leadership program when we were living in, in Greenville that um, required you to do a ropes course. Now, I had never done a ropes course before. Um, some of you are laughing because you have. But um, part of the ropes course was there was this 40-plus feet tall wall that everyone had to, to climb up. It was part of the challenge that they were giving us. And I thought first that I would sit back and see if there would be anyone else who wouldn't climb up the wall, thinking that that would be justification for me not climbing the wall. But everyone did. So I said, well, I'm going to do it too. I'm not going to be the only one here not climbing this wall. But they gave you an option of two different people. Everyone who climbed the wall had to be tethered to somebody down on the ground. And they had two people who were professionals. I sized them both up. One young lady looked to be maybe early 20s, probably 100 pounds. And um, I thought to myself, I don't know that I'm going to trust myself with her. Uh, the other gentleman was probably six foot, maybe six foot five, six foot six, rather stocky. Looked like he'd done this kind of thing before. So I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with him. And so I very reluctantly allowed him to tether himself to me, and, and I began climbing up the rock wall. Well, the, the beginning, it was, it was easy, actually. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but the higher that I climbed, the further out the hand grips became. And it was more challenging for me to climb it on my own. In fact, I reached a point that was an impasse. I couldn't climb it any higher. And I, I just stood there for a minute frozen. And it was about that time that the gentleman I was tied to from the ground yelled up and said, you can lean into the rope. It will hold you. Now, the biggest challenge I had was believing him. <laughs> I thought, yeah, it's easy for you to say you're on the ground. But I cast off. And the moment I did, I, I realized he was telling the truth. And there was a newfound freedom. In fact, I was able to climb higher than I ever could have on my own because I knew that he was bearing my weight on the ground. Now I say that to say that when we look at Paul's admonishment here to the church in Rome, really what he's saying is that as we are united with Christ, we have the ability to be united with one another. And it is that connection that enables us to scale heights that otherwise we would not be able to scale. It is that connection that enables those who are strong to bear with the infirmities of those who are weak. It is that connection that enables us to look around us when a visitor is in our midst and walk up to them with a welcoming smile and invite them into our worship. Not because we're all extroverts or necessarily comfortable with doing that, but because we're connected in Christ. And because of our union with him, we have the ability to walk in tandem with one another. The fourth point that I want to make and the fourth way or reason that Paul says we should be connected with one another, ultimately, and it's the crescendo that I told you he was building up to. Yes, he, he, he makes his point rather vividly through illustrations and the previous three points that are made, but then he leaves this final knockout punch to the end. And he says in verses 6 through 7, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
So the fourth and final reason that Paul gives the church of Rome to be connected with, with one another is for God's glory. And he says, yes, we are separated for the, because of the gospel. We are to be connected for the sake of hope. We are one because of our union with Christ. And then finally he says, we are connected. We are to be connected. We are to welcome all who come in our midst because it brings glory to God. The name of Christ, after all, is conferred upon us. We are his children. We are his church. And so the way that we accept others is a reflection of how we believe God has accepted us. And too many times we see our relationship with God as being somehow meritorious. That God looks for us to clean up our act before we are acceptable in his sight. But a proper understanding of the gospel, a biblical view of the gospel, shows us that that is not the case. And once we believe that, once we cast off and rest on that truth, then we realize that we have the freedom to accept others. Maybe not their, well, definitely not their sins, not their lifestyle, but to reach out to those who are coming in our midst who do not know Jesus, those who are living in our world and claiming truths that we know are lies. We have the means to relate to them by the power of the gospel because we accept, we welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. And this is ultimately the point that Paul leads up to, that we do so for the glory of God. Not for our own good, necessarily, but for God's glory. That we are attentive to those who are visiting with us. Now, I want to make one final point before um, I I, I close and before I summarize and, and draw an application from this passage for us today. And that is that we live in a world, a society that is very consumer driven. And so when we see the numbers like we did in the video that 240 documented first-time visitors came to our church in 2014, but only 18 joined. What you should not understand is that consumerism had nothing to do with that, because to some extent it did. After all, we live in a consumeristic society. People are always shopping for a church that meets their needs, instead of looking for a place where they can go and worship God. But what you also should not hear is that that's a good thing that 240 first-time visitors and only 18 joining is a good thing. And it tells us that our challenge as the body, as the church, is that we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. That we are to be cognizant not only of our need for each other, but also of the world's need for the truth that we have to share. Now, finally, how does all this that I've just shared with you this morning apply to us? Well, There are people who enter this church who maybe have never entered church in their life. Then there are those who enter this building that have been hurt by church. To them, church is a negative association, but because they've been coerced or they just want to give it one last shot, they're here. And then there are those that have been here longer than I have, which is not saying a lot. We came in January. But then there are those who've been here longer than I have. Maybe some of you this morning... Maybe the person sitting next to you. That even though they're here, they're lonely. They're not connected. There's no one there in the middle of the night when they cry out in desperation to whom they can call and they feel like that they have a fellow brother or fellow sister to bear their burden. 
few years ago, the, in fact, last year, the National Science Foundation in 2014 did a survey that they called the General Social Survey. It featured 1,500 people all across the United States. They did a face-to-face interview. And their, their purpose was to find out how many people they interviewed face-to-face would admit to being lonely. And what they discovered is that of those 1,500 people they interviewed, 25%, one in four, said that they had no one to share the joys of their life or the sorrows of their heart with. And then when they took the questionnaire one step further and removed a family member from the possible options of someone with whom they were connected, that number increased to 50. 50% of people that admitted they were lonely the majority of the time. What does that mean for us as a body? It means that Christ has called us to be a new humanity. And that we ought to bear one another's burdens. That we ought to come alongside of each other and walk this journey of faith one with another. That is the beauty of this organism that is called the church. That we are to be cognizant of how Christ has accepted us. That he's welcomed us. And that we are to welcome others in the same way. Now, in closing, I'll just say that all of us are gifted in different ways. And so how you connect, how you answer the last question on that video may be different for each of us. It will be, in fact. But some of you, you want, may want to get involved in a way that, that enables you to, to meet people, to, to meet newcomers when they first arrive. And so if that's you, uh, I, I want to encourage you to go to our website. Uh, we're starting something in the fall called the uh, Pre-Service Volunteer Team. And basically it's a group of people, 32 individuals who once every six weeks will volunteer to look out for people who are are newcomers and simply not overshadow them and make them feel uncomfortable, but make them feel welcome, like they're part of our family. And so if you're interested in doing that, please go to our website um, and and click on Connections and Visitors, and there's a sign-up there uh, that you can can sign up and get involved. And we'll also have sign-up from now until August the 16th in the foyer every Sunday after service. So if you don't get to sign up online, uh, please find me at the visitor's table and you can do so um, after service for any of the Sundays between now and the fall. So I say all that to say that we are given this admonishment to be connected one with another, to bear each other's burdens, this imperative to reach out and be one in Christ. And we're given from scriptures not only the imperative but the indicatives. Why we have the ability to be connected, or why we should be. And all the indicatives ultimately point back to grace because of the gospel, for the sake of hope, because of our union with Christ, and for the sake of God's glory. And as we co-labor with one another in the faith, let us keep those things in mind and know that ultimately as we are united with Christ, we can scale the highest heights in him. And it's only as we are united in him and united with one another that we'll be qualified and able to maneuver through this tumultuous time. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning that indeed we're bought by your blood. We are redeemed of all people, all nations, and that there is unity through you and your gospel even in the midst of diversity. And we ask you this morning that you would rekindle within us an awareness of the gospel, that we are accepted by you because of the work that you have done and no other reason. And Lord, help us to welcome others on the same merit. 
Unite us together, Lord, even as you prayed. Make us one in you as you and the Father are one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.